Bible. I don't know. I believe myself as I believe in God and everything, and I put myself through Christianity and Catholicism. You know, and I mean, some of the things in the Bible are really good to listen to and stuff, but I mean, it's what you believe in. I don't really believe in the whole Bible. I think I think there's a lot of the, a lot of contradictions in it, but I believe that it's a it's good base for your beliefs and your morals, but you don't want to base it all off that. There's a lot of things that you need to learn for yourself. The Bible, I think it is the word of God, it is the infallible truth, and that it is, you know, a way to live your life and a way of salvation. Um, I think it's interesting, and it has a lot of good values and ideas. Um, it's... I mean, it's good that every, it's good for everyone to know about, for sure. Um, I, I don't follow it myself, but I think it's very interesting and cool. Um, well, I think there's I think there's some good lessons to be learned in there. Um, whether I, I and I think is it a historical text? Uh, maybe parts of it. Um, but as far as as far as believing in in Christianity and that kind of thing, no, I'm not I'm not. The Bible. Um, well, I am a Christian, and I do my best to go to Navs here on campus. But um, I think it's the Word of God, and I think that people, if they believe that, um, I'm really open to other people's beliefs. But I think if you're a Christian that the Bible is definitely the best way to go um, and can lead you towards salvation. So. What do I think about the Bible? Um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that kind of give you uh, aspects of life that you should strive towards, some, some things that you should follow inside life. You know, just, just general um, tips and suggestions of how to make yourself more one with the community and, and one with God. Um, it's a great historical text. <laughs> Good story. One of the best storybooks ever written, although its amount of factual truth is limited. What it asks people to do is uh, unique, and I don't think it has a basis that is based on scientific fact. What do you think about the Bible? Uh, that was the question asked of these students at the University of Wyoming. And uh, as you saw, there was a variety of responses. Uh, some who believed it, others who didn't. Um, some who view it as a guidebook, uh, others as a book of fairy tales, and still others as the Word of God. Uh, today we continue our What About Those series, looking at some of the tough questions or critiques uh, against Christianity. Uh, and as we do so, we come to this book. Uh, it's actually a book of books, 66 books, written over uh, a period of 1,500 years by 40 different divinely inspired authors. It's a book of history and prophecy and poetry, letters and testimony. It's a book that is both the world's best-selling book and also the world's most shoplifted book, so make of that what you will. Uh, and yet many in our world look at this book and say, eh, so what? 
And it's on them that I want to focus this morning. I want to ask the question, what about those who think the Bible is irrelevant? This is an allegation that comes wrapped in many forms. Maybe they don't find themselves saying the word irrelevant. Maybe they say something like, the Bible is oppressive. Uh, the Bible is oppressive to, to women or to minorities, even it's anti-Semitic. Maybe the Bible, they say, is outdated. Uh, culture has changed and, and we know more and science has disproven the Bible. Maybe they say the Bible is contradictory. Whatever the phrasing, whatever word they use, the, the sentiment is kind of the same. There's no place for the Bible in my life. And this is the charge that people from all walks of life throw at the Bible, even from people who once closely followed it. Uh, some of you might be familiar with uh, former megachurch pastor Rob Bell. Uh, when I was in high school, Rob Bell popularized uh, some NUMA videos that were used for all kinds of Sunday school and Bible curriculum, just about 20-minute videos to uh, talk about Christianity in, in new and relevant ways. And, uh, but several years ago, a number of years ago, uh, Rob Bell said this in an interview with Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey about when the church will embrace gay marriage. He says, we're moments away. I think the culture is already there. And the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. A former megachurch pastor who spent years developing curriculum for students all across our nation says that our Bible is irrelevant as our best defense. And so how do we respond to friends or people like Rob Bell who lay claims like this, that the Bible is irrelevant or outdated or unneeded? This morning, I want to simply look at three reasons I think the Bible is still relevant in spite of the culture that surrounds us. The first is this, the Bible is relevant because of its endurance. Now, many people like Rob Bell, even, uh, even some Christians, have decided that the Bible has uh, past its sell-by date, uh, that the Bible is becoming increasingly obsolete. You know, they might say it might have its merits, it might be spiritually inspiring or have some good teachings, some, some tips, some tricks, some life hacks for how we live, but to be God's authoritative, inspired word, maybe not so much. And so invariably what people do is kind of pick and choose the part that they want, the parts that they like and the parts that they don't, and try to piece it together. But when culture says that the Bible is old or outdated or repressive, that, it shouldn't be, uh, that we shouldn't be listening to a book that is thousands of years old, I have to ask, maybe there's a reason that this book is thousands of years old and is still speaking to us. In a world where everything is constantly changing, empires rising and crumbling, philosophers coming and going, world leaders living and dying, still we find this book that continues to speak through millennia, over and throughout history. And we actually come to find that there's a reason for this. The Bible endures by its very nature. As part of his opening in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Law and prophets being a shorthand for the entirety of the Old Testament. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until, it is, until everything is accomplished. Jesus says, looking at the entirety uh, of the Old Testament, the, the Jewish Bible at that point, he says, not the smallest letter, uh, the Greek equivalent to our letter I, 
And not the least stroke of a pen. For us, it'd be a dot, an, an accent mark, an apostrophe, the, the tiny line that changes an O into a Q. None, even the smallest parts won't disappear. And yet still some people think of the Bible like uh, furniture from Ikea. Uh, you ever get done assembling something and realize that you have some extra parts left over? Uh, some of you, that's because you didn't follow the instructions very well, and you'll find that out when your desk chair collapses on you one day. But sometimes you do get done, and you follow the instructions, and, and you find there are extra parts left. You always get a few extra parts just in case something small is lost in shipping or the assembling or production and putting everything together. But the Bible isn't like that. What Jesus is saying is there are no extra parts in the Bible. You can't go through the Bible and pick and choose some things that are inspired and some things that aren't, some things that are true and some that isn't. It's all God's truth. And while Jesus did fulfill the law, so we don't have to have animal sacrifices, and so we can eat bacon. Can I get an amen on that? Uh, Not even those little marks can be ignored. He he doesn't say, I mean, you get the gist of the message. That's what's important. Time changes, and, and the world has to change, the word has to change with it. No, in fact, he says the exact opposite. He says, heaven and earth will disappear before God's word does. Scripture will last longer than the entire created order. Psalm 119, 89 says, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Isaiah 40, 40, 40 verse 8 says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. In a world of fleeting fortune cookie wisdom and 10-second sound bites, the Bible throughout history has endured to speak to us words of hope and truth and love, which couldn't be more relevant to what humanity has sought after regardless of the time period. The Bible is relevant because it endures. But I think the Bible endures for the second reason it's relevant. The Bible is relevant because of its very nature. I think we have to understand at some level the Bible is fully capable of its own defense of its relevancy. Those who don't think the Bible is relevant have rarely sought to apply it and often have never even read it. But what you will find when you crack these pages and truly delve into Scripture is that by its very nature it speaks to, it it is relevant to nearly every element of the human experience. The Bible speaks about work and parenting, and marriage, and singleness, about sexuality, and wealth, about the afterlife, about justice, about social justice, about the government, about war, about suffering. I mean, the list is nearly endless. It's almost like it's been given to us as a manual on how to know the best way to live. And when people truly allow the Bible to speak into their conditions, very soon they find that its relevance is real, even if they don't agree with it. The powerful preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, suppose some people were to take it into their heads that they had to defend a lion, a full-grown king of beasts. There he is in the cage, and here come all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I should suggest to them that they should kindly stand back and open the door and let the lion out. I believe that that would be the best way of defending him, for he would take care of himself. You see, the reality is this book is dangerous. It's dangerous to our sin and to our selfishness, to our contentedness. 
Hebrews 4.19 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so sometimes the very best thing that we can do to defend the Bible's relevance is unsheath our sword. I think what people often mean when they claim the Bible isn't relevant is, I don't agree with it. And because I don't agree with it, I have no need for it. But I think by its very nature, if the Bible is the Word of God, at a certain level, the Bible has to disagree with us. Let's lay out this argument for just a minute. As Christians, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. And as God's Word, it's absolute truth absolutely all the time, right? That was weaker than first service. Is the Bible God's inspired Word, right? Yes? True? Okay. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God-breathed means God-inspired. And if God is perfect and totally true, then naturally it follows that His Word is also. And yet we live in a culture that says everything is relative because what may be true for you and your experience isn't true for me and my experience. And so if the church says the Bible is absolutely true, and culture says there's no, thing, no such thing as absolute truth, then it makes sense that culture would find the Bible irrelevant. But I think we can argue the opposite. Because when you really boil it down, this idea of relativism, that it's all relative, that there's no absolute truth, is actually what we come to find irrelevant. Relativism is irrelevant because it's fluid. It's, it's always changing. And that means what you define as true is only relevant for you and maybe just for that day or that hour, that minute. The minute your truth changes, it's no longer relevant. But if something is absolutely true, that means that it's just as true today as when it started over 2,000 years ago. And because it doesn't change, it at least has the greatest possibility of being relevant, of meaning something regardless of what changes around it. And this is what we, exactly we should expect Scripture to do, to engage us in any time period, in any culture, if it truly is what it claims to be. If the Bible is God's Word, then it transcends time. It's the most relevant Word that we could possibly have. If God exists outside of time and, and speaks into our world with ultimate, absolute knowledge and wisdom, wouldn't you expect that at some point it would critique every culture? That every culture would have something to learn from an all-knowing God. Every culture would have blind spots that God can speak to and say, I know a better way. Tim Keller says it this way, Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle will you know that you have gotten hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. So an authoritative Bible is not the enemy of a personal relationship, relationship with God. It is the precondition for it. In other words, many of us treat God, treat the Bible like a contract, God, and the Bible like a contract, like the terms of the contract, to say, I will follow you, God, and I will listen, and I will obey until you tell me something that I don't want to hear, until you tell me something that goes against my way and what I think is best. And then we get upset because, then God, I thought we had a deal here that I read your word and I go to church and I pray when I need help and in turn you let me do things the way I want. 
And so we get upset because we think that God broke the contract, that it's, that's no longer relevant to us. But when we serve a God that we don't allow to contradict us, that if he can't offend us, if, you, if we won't allow him to say things to us that are culturally unacceptable to us, what we come to find is we don't really have a God at all. We have an idol fashioned by our own hands that is really just nothing more than a larger projection of us. And so maybe it's easier to say that the Bible contradicts itself rather than the reason we truly reject it. It contradicts us. But when we do apply this word, and we take to heart its nature of absolute truth, we realize the third way the Bible is relevant is because of its impact. Maybe the single greatest point that we can make to the relevancy of the Bible this morning is to make note of the impact that it has had throughout history. Because like it or not, good or bad, a true and genuine, genuine reading of this word will impact you. It will require a response. And for some, that response is negative, antagonistic. But others have read this book and finding it relevant have allowed the impact on their lives to be immeasurable. Even within its pages, we see this. Abraham obeys it, and as a result, he fathers a nation. Moses advises Israel to consume it. Ezekiel eats it. Jeremiah watches it burn. King Josiah weeps when it's rediscovered. To the psalmist, it is more precious than a thousand pieces of gold. And many have likewise taken this book and allowed it to impact them and change them and transform them and have used it to do the very same things to the world around them. Impact, change, and transform it. The Bible usually gets a bad rap for being oppressive or repressive, but historically it is culture, not scripture, that has paved the way to oppression. For example, where did the idea of romantic love come from? The idea that you ought to marry for love and not for status. It wasn't culture. It was French poets of the 8th and 9th century when they took the Bible and applied it to ancient ideas of women as property and they changed it. Where did the idea of human rights come from? Surely it was philosophers. But even Aristotle said that some people were born to be slaves. No, it came from Christian lawyers of the Middle Ages in the 11th and 12th centuries who were reflecting on what the Bible says about being created in the image of God. Where did philanthropy, charity come from? It must have been humanists looking out for their fellow humans, but no, it was early generations of Christians who built hospitals and orphanages and took in abandoned children left on the streets and raised them as if they were their own. The relevance that this book has is directly connected to its impact. It won't have any relevance in your life if you don't allow it to have an impact in your life. You see, most of us treat Scripture like gasoline for our vehicles rather than water for our bodies. You can't try to fill up every couple weeks and be fine. One of our professors, Michael DeFazio, says this way. He said, think of it like this. Think about how often you take a shower. If you bathed as often as you read the Bible, what would you smell like? Would you stink? He says, let's take it a step further. Imagine if you bathed like twice a month and you went to work and said to a coworker, dude, you've got to try this, this brand of soap I have. It works. You should like for real buy some. And he would say, man, you stink. I'm going to go ahead and assume that your soap is irrelevant to my attempts to stay clean. 
if we aren't reading the Word, if we aren't engaged in the Word, if we don't allow it to impact us, then it will be irrelevant. Not because of anything lacking in it, but because of what will be lacking in us. And what people will see through us is the Word of God devoid of any real kind of power. The Bible's endurance, that it has stood the test of time its nature, that it is absolute unchanging truth, its impact, that it has done more to shape human history and culture and the world than perhaps any other force, shows us that it's relevant even still for today. But even as I say this, I offer you a caution. Believing the Bible will not save you. Believing in your, that your ability to be saved based on your understanding of Scripture makes about as much sense as fawning over a love letter while ignoring the one who sent it. Jesus cautioned the religious leaders in his day of this very thing in John 5, 39. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the various scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see, the real issue of what separates us from encountering the one that brings life through his word, the real issue is sin. And we can have all kinds of arguments about uh, the relevance of the Bible, the, the destroy ignorance and irrationality, but the real enemy is sin. And sin can be only destroy, destroyed by the blood of Christ, the power of the Spirit, and the faith, hope, and love that we see present in Jesus. And so if the Bible is not leading you closer to Jesus, and closer to truth and grace, and closer to looking like Him, and serving like Him, and loving like Him, then it is irrelevant. But that's on you, not on it. These words have life because they speak about the life giver. And so what you hear today is, I, I want to go home, and I want to read the Bible, and know the Bible, and understand the Bible, and how it have an impact on me and on the world, but you miss Jesus in the process, and it's useless to us. And yet, if you want to know more about Jesus, more about this life giver, then dive into this with all that you are. Maybe that means having a conversation today. A conversation about what it looks like to follow Jesus, how we can find him in this word. I'd love to have that conversation with you. I know one of our elders would as well. Maybe it's a conversation with God. Through prayer, recognizing that we have not allowed ourselves to be shaped by His Word as much as we should have. That we find its irrelevance present in our lives, not because of it, but because we haven't used it well. We haven't read it well. We haven't dove into it. Find Jesus in this pages. Whatever the case, when we are not in this world, the world will notice. And we'll call it irrelevant. Because that's what they see in us. And so church, I want to encourage you to read this book, consume this book, find truth in this book, but more than anything, find Jesus in this book and share him with the world. What about those who don't believe that the Bible is still relevant? We are the answer and how Jesus impacts our lives and how we show this word present through the way that we live and the way that we testify about him. It is our hope and it is also our mission. So let's get busy showing the world that this book is relevant because of the Savior that is told about within its pages.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you for your word. What a privilege it is that you, the God of the universe, would, would make yourself known to us. And not just in creation and the things around us like we talked about last week, but specifically in knowing who you are because of your word. You tell us who you are and who we are in response and what you desire for us to do with that. That couldn't be more relevant. That God, as our creator, you know the very best way to live and you have given us your word to show us that. And so God, as we study your word, we find power in it. We find life in it. We find truth in it. But if we don't find Jesus in it, then we have missed it. And so God, help us to look more like Jesus. As the world looks to us, the church, as we claim to follow your word and to follow your son, they're looking to see how closely we do that. To see if what you say is relevant based on the way that we live, if it's relevant in us. So God, help us to live that well. Help us to show your son. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.